Welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, and on today's episode, I am joined by the fabulous Lucy Fielding to talk about change and becoming and transitions in all of our erotic lives and how we can approach change with more curiosity and passion. I first met Lucy at the ASECT conference, the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And when we met, it was very clear that we had met kindred spirits. She's brilliant and wise and lovingly invites you into new perspectives on your erotic body and experience. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Lucy. I thought it was a great one to close out, to transition, as it were, out of our libido series. We have spent the past four episodes looking at libido and sex drive with fresh perspectives. How can we reevaluate some of the most fundamental assumptions about our sexualities that we have been taught from myth and disinformation and out of even like a harmful sex culture? How do we reevaluate what sexuality is, how it lives in our bodies, what this force is that moves through us and seems to move us in sometimes very unexpected directions in life? What is eroticism and sexuality? I love that we as a community can go into these conversations and ask these really big questions together. I continue to get really amazing emails from you all as you unpack these themes. Keep them coming. Chris at pleasuremechanics.com. And if you want to support this show and the work that we're doing and be part of our inner circle and in closer dialogue with me and Charlotte, come on over to pleasuremechanics.com slash love pleasuremechanics.com slash love, where you will find some options to throw us some love, support the show, and step into our inner circle of supporters. All right. I am so excited to introduce you to Lucy Fielding. As I said, when I walked into their workshop session at ASECT, I was blown away by their wisdom and soulfulness. And it turns out Lucy has been a listener of our podcast for a while. And so a friendship was born. It was really wonderful to meet and share our thoughts. Um, And this, I think, will be the first of many conversations we share with you. So let us know what you think and how this applies to your life. I'm waiting to hear from you over at pleasuremechanics.com. All right, here's my conversation with Lucy Fielding. Cheers. Lucy, welcome to Speaking of Sex. Thank you so much for having me. Can you please start us out by introducing yourself and the work that you do? So um, my name is Lucy Fielding, and I am a non-binary femme. My pronouns are she, they. I am a resident in counseling, which basically means I'm a therapist under supervision um, working towards licensure. I'm also a sex educator and a writer, and I'm currently working on a book entitled Transsex Clinical Approaches to Transsexualities and Erotic Embodiments. And that will come out in late 2020. Mm-hmm. 
I'm already excited for part two when we bring you back to talk about the book. Um, based <laughs> on our workshop together at ASECT when I just was dazzled by your wisdom, I really wanted to kind of set a very specific scope for this conversation and talk about this idea of transitions in all of our lives, change yeah. in all of our lives, and how we can come into a more passionate relationship with change and transitions in our erotic lives. So that's where we're headed today. Can you start by defining some of this language on your own terms? So what do sure. you mean by erotic embodiment? Erotic embodiment. Mm -hmm. So um, embodiment, um, so the root verb is to embody. And, and there's two senses to that. One is that corporeal sense. I am in my body. Um, I, am, um, I am aware of, I have an internal sense, an external sense of my body, uh, my body in space, my viscera. And then the second sense is, is the social and cultural sense, the fact that we embody things. So we embody norms. Um, it's the idea that cultural scripts, narratives are constantly, and, and images are constantly intersecting with our bodies, bombarding our bodies, forming our bodies in space. They have a lot to say about what our bodies are for, um, what they can do and what they can do or what they should do more properly and what they shouldn't do. So it, it often comes with a moral aspect to it or a normative aspect. Um, and so embodiment can, um, is, is about in some ways the ways that our bodies are moving, not just as corporeal things of blood and guts and viscera and fluids, um, but also um, formed by, through, and in culture. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate this dual lens for embodiment because we talk so often on the show about erotic embodiment, but we have to remember that that doesn't happen in individual beds. No. Happen in individual genitals. It happens in this social web of culture. Um, and your writing really points to that so beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. I, I really try to, um, I think both in my work as, as a therapist and in, in the book and in my teaching, um, I really want us to be cognizant of the fact that we, yeah, don't come in simply as individuals with our subjective feels, that so much of it is, is conditioned or in response to and, and could serve some troubling um, or a term that we'll talk about perhaps later um, could use some mystifying. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And how has your sense of your understanding of erotic embodiment been informed by this other term you talk a lot about, transition and change? Yeah. So the book itself is written for providers working with 
Um, and I mean providers very broadly. I mean mental health providers, medical providers, I mean body workers, I mean um, circuit partners, I mean prodoms, pelvic floor therapists, um, the, the whole gamut. Um, and, and so when I talk about, and the population I'm talking about is of course trans, non-binary and gender non-conforming folks and how we as providers can better host conversations about um, sexual expression, erotic embodiment, um, for trans non-binary and gender non-conforming folks. But my sense is, is that these conceptual frameworks that I introduce in the book and in my teaching are really applicable to all bodies. It's just that my starting point, instead of starting with cis heterosexual bodies, white able-bodied cis heterosexual bodies, I want to start with um, trans and non-binary and queer bodies and start from there because so much, my observation has been that so much of you know, the, the research, the great sexological research that we depend on and that we draw from and many of the great sex education books that, that we love, um, like, I mean, I adore Emily Nagoski's Come As You Are or Laurie Mintz's Becoming Cliterate or um, Girl Sex 101. They are all starting from this position of cis women's bodies and cis women's sexualities. And that's great, but what happens is, is that trans and non-binary folks have to often extrapolate from cis experiencing. Um, and so I want to flip the script on that because I think that there's a lot that trans and non-binary folks have a lot to, and queer folks generally have to, um, to teach um, cishet folks um, about embodiment and erotic embodiment mm -hmm. specifically. Mm -hmm. But this notion of transition, to come back to that question, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm sorry to kind of wind back to it, um, is this sense that our bodies, that transition is not just for trans and non-binary folks. It's not just about like, the, these very prescribed paths of um, social transition and legal transition and medical transition with all of the steps that go into that. Our bodies are constantly in transition. Our sexual bodies are constantly in transition. We are aging. We are, or our hormones are constantly are shifting. Our, um, we are acquiring illnesses. We are acquiring disabilities. We are recovering from illnesses. We are recovering from injuries. And, um, and, and all of that has, an, all of that is a transition. It's a passage. It's, an, it's a process that we are always engaging in if we really think about it because stuff is happening to us in our lives and to our bodies, and it's impacting the way that we are relating to one another, and particularly relating 
to one another sexually and relating to our own bodies as, as sexual bodies. Mm-hmm. And when we think about how we relate to these transitions, these passages, these changes, it's so clear that we often have a relationship of loss, of grieving, of yeah. mourning, um, of kind of thinking of what we're leaving behind as we age or as we change. Um, and we forget sometimes that change is the great vehicle of discovery, of excitement, of curiosity. And you invite us into this more um, balanced, I don't want to say positive, because I feel like you hold the whole spectrum of the emotional experience of change, but you remind us of the joy and excitement in change as well. Yeah, I I hope so, at least. I mean, I, I think we often put it in terms of like change involves or implies gains and losses. Mm. And, and that's, I think, one, some binary thinking that, that I want to eschew whenever possible. But, um, but also, I, I think we need to talk more about variation and difference. And, and that's the framework from which I, I talk about change, that we, that that our bodies vary and and that yes we need to that passages do imply some sort of grieving process because you are moving from one state to another but it's a constant thing and um and there are just there are instead of looking at it merely in terms of what is lost or what is gained i want to think about what is what is the difference um what opportunities open up um that this change allows me to consider Hmm. it's such a more generous question yeah And what is the role of passion in this? You talk about, quote, coming into passionate relationship with the embodied sexual self, which is just a sentence I could read over and over again. This word passion, talk to me about, because I tend to think of passion as overrated, kind of this like external lustiness we feel with another person. How do you think of passion? I think, so when we talk about sexuality, um, we often talk about intimacy. We talk about sexual intimacy. Um, and what I want to talk about is, is a sense of there, in some sense, two relational energies. There is intimacy, which is often um, about coziness and, and comfort and feelings of safety. And, um, you know, it feels yummy. It's about knowing. Passion for me, and this comes a lot from um, relational uh, psychotherapists like Stephen Mitchell and um, folks like um, Esther Perel, who really talks about the intimacy, passion, energies. Passion is often marks the beginning of our relationships, and um, it's an energy that is steeped in not knowing, in mystery in fantasy, in, in, in just like raw desire, sometimes even lust. 
um, and um, and but it's it's from that period where we sincerely are gobsmacked mm-hmm. by another person by by partners um and and i think that that's really um an exciting space to inhabit and the observation that folks like um esther perel talks about is is that often what happens in relationships um is that and i, and I talk about it in terms of like that um uh, Pina Colada song. What that tells is this story of like, you know, you're with a partner and, and it's like, it, it's a, he describes it as like, you know, the partnership is a favorite song, but it's a worn out recording of that favorite song. Like it's gotten, the relationship has gotten stale, predictable, um, definable. It, you get into this illusion and it is an illusion that you know the other person that you know that all there is to know about another person. And that's a trap. And the guy in, in Escape, um, of course, like, you know, answers the personal ad and then, you know, shows up at the bar O'Malley's and lo and behold, who should walk in, who wrote the original ad that he responded to, but his partner his current partner. So, you know, and then he says like, I never knew. And that's really, and that is the space that passion can create. It's that place of, huh, like that was an illusion that I knew everything about the other person. Um, I, in fact, there's, we are infinitely expandable because we are always transitioning we are always in the midst of change and variation and so and what i do in my work is i take that interpersonal lens that esther perel talks about that um that escape um really highlights and um and i make it intrapersonal i'm talking about our relationship to our own bodies and how we get a little bit too cozy and comfortable with how our bodies work and how our bodies are supposed to be interacted with and what they're for. Like, um, you know, and you've talked about this in, in previous episodes, the, the episode on like, um, you know, what you can do with soft penises, which was just such a great episode you know, because it's, it's all about this, right? You know, that we have this cultural script that says that, that the only thing penises are good for is being hard and penetrating and, and that they intersect with mouths or with anuses or, um, or vaginas, but that is, that's their function. And if, they don't interact with bodies in that particular way, then they're disordered or, God forbid, dysfunctional. Mm. And so I, so to come into passionate relationship is to deconstruct that script and say like, huh, I don't have to use a penis like that. I don't even have to call it a penis. I don't have to interact with it 
in particular ways. Um, a sex educator um, that, um, that I um, met at um, Philly Trans Wellness, um, so big conference for um, both community members and providers in Philadelphia every year put on by the Mazzoni Center. There was a, um, a workshop for community on um, um, making love to a trans body. And there was this really incredible um, discussion of swirling versus bobbing. You know, we have this idea, this is in reference to oral sex, that usually, and it's very gendered, that bobbing is about, you know, like blowjobs. You bob a penis, right? And then you swirl a vulva. Um, so um, that's what you do when you're engaging in oral sex with holders of a particular genital configuration. And, but what if you swirl with a penis? What does that do? Because a lot of, one thing that's really important to place here is the idea that trans and non-binary folks, we, we have a complicated relationship to our bodies, um, a very nuanced relationship to our bodies. Sometimes we, um, and especially to our genitals. And so like, and I know for me, when I am um, having sex with a partner, um, it is really, um, it, the dysphoria, um, body dysphoria, gender dysphoria comes up for me when I feel like my parts are being, are being treated as what society might say that they are, might assign a gender, a particular gender to, um, or connect a particular gender to, and what and how I interact with them and want them to be interacted with. So I um, call my genitals my clit, and we have so many like creative and fabulous ways to describe um, our parts. Like um, one participant yelled out in this same workshop, you know, that they refer to their um, a transmasculine um, person referred to their. Um, to their vulva as their man cave. And I just <laughs> loved that, you know, just like rethinking that, you know. In the trans community, we have no choice but to yeah. articulate our own realities, to come up with our own language, to define who we are again and again and again. Yes. Um, and so much of this is an invitation for everyone to be in this kind of inquiry and self-naming process so that we can be more authentic and more present with one another yeah and, and with ourselves yeah <laughs> do you want to talk anything more about the um this turning the passionate gaze inward because i feel like yeah. so many people have a sense of what that might mean feels scary it feels kind of inaccessible like what happens if we turn our gaze inward and like, what do we discover there? You know, like, do we give ourselves permission to know ourselves? Oh, it is scary. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it change is scary. Um, and what I would invite folks to consider, and I, I can talk a little bit to this, um, but is to consider as my dear friend and colleague, um, Ray McDaniel, um, whose practice in Chicago, um, Practical Audacity is amazing. Um, they and I were talking about my work in the book and they introduced this lovely distinction between feeling safe and being safe. And that so often we are safe, but we don't feel safe. And so part of it is making part of this move's ability to lean into the fear that attends um, this process of coming into passionate relationship because it is the unknown. You don't know what you're going to find. There's something really exciting about that, but there's something really scary about that. And, And it's important to acknowledge that. And so the first step is like, getting to a place where you are in fact safe, you are being safe and you may not feel safe, um, but it's about making an accurate assessment of your safety. And then, and part of that from a therapeutic perspective, we talk about often one of my favorite therapeutic metaphors is the metaphor of the container that we talk about the, um, that um, therapy is about creating a safe container in which sensations, images, feelings, thoughts that might be too scary, too overwhelming to face alone or outside of that space, that the container provides that sense of containment that like, I feel bounded um, by this really ethically drawn space. Um, I can go. I can go to certain places because I am safe, mm-hmm. even if this is a little scary. So therapy might be one of those containers. I think we can work on creating that container in our friendships and in our love relationships. Totally. On the individual level, I think some people use journaling or art practice or even like movement practice to create those containers for yourself of like, how do you just carve out a little bit of time to go inward and see what's there, get to know yourself. Um, and, and kink practices are, you know, modeled on the same uh, kind of idea. I mean, I talk about, um, expanding the container, um, metaphor to think about bounded chaos. And I think about therapy and like kink scenes, um, as, as very much on that, um, within that framework, that, you know, as long as there is that container you've negotiated, you, you know that you have, um, that somebody is going to recognize that if you are getting overwhelmed and that you need a safe word out, that that's going to, that that's going to be respected and indeed welcomed and not shamed and, and you know, you're going to be thanked for, for articulating that need to to move out of the scene space 
And so, but with, and with that knowledge, so much can happen within that once you have that negotiated frame. Um, so yeah, and that can happen within friendships. It can happen within romantic relationships. And as you note, it can happen just with ourselves and through intentional practices. Mind, any kind of mindfulness practice um, is, in a sense, establishing that container. Hmm. And what do you say to people who are afraid of the flames? You know, we often use fire <laughs> as this metaphor for passion. And so often I hear from people who feel like if they open themselves up to their eroticism, if they start actually articulating their passions, their desires, they'll be overwhelmed, they'll be consumed by it. Like, How do we kind of maintain a sense of self while also allowing ourselves to take the plunge? Mm. I think that that's where the container comes in mm. um, because you're, you know that, that you're going to be held back from going too far. If I think about it individually in terms of mindfulness practice, you know, we talk about um, one of the, the prompts that, that I give, you know, for like visualizations is this idea of like, your mind may wander. That's okay. That's what minds do. Um, so honor that and then try to see if you can bring your awareness back to the present moment to your embodied awareness. And so that's, that's baked in. And so um, I can't say that it is like a totally safe move to come into passionate relationship. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think, you know, if it were, if we, felt safe and we were safe, like there would be no incentive for us to move towards something different, um, to change, um, that, that like, that just wouldn't happen. Like we just keep doing what we're doing. Um, but we have to get to a place that almost, um, a friend of mine who, um, is a health at every size, um, nutritionist in DC, you know, talks about with respect to um, uh, to disordered eating that, you know, at some point you have to decide that um, and really understand that the disordered eating patterns are not serving the goals that you have for yourself, that they are in fact hindering you. And so like being in that safe that that place of oh i'm to i feel totally safe i'm you know like that may not be serving you but like that you need some of that um that distance that separatedness and um that um sense of not knowing in order to kind of move away from that desire to just like stand pat um a dear friend and sex therapist um, that I adore, uh, Debron Harvey, talks about um, ambivalence is essential to the change process. That we need to have that sense of like, oh, you know, I don't know if if this is good or bad. I, like there there are 
costs and benefits to all of this that, that I need to weigh. And hopefully we get to the place where, you know, ultimately where we have been is, is not serving us as much as where we could go, even if that implies a sense of not knowing and, and a, charting a new course, remapping, revising, revisioning um, our relationship to our bodies. Mm. Mm. And I'm struck that sometimes these are incremental changes and small changes, and then other times they truly are swan dives into an unknown. Um, And that sometimes like the suffering is left behind once you take the leap. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking so much about so many of my trans friends who kind of swirled in a stuckness for so long. And as soon as they articulated something for themselves, as soon as they named a change that was coming, whether that be, I want to explore hormone therapy, or I'm changing a pronoun, or I'm changing a name, or any kind of big step into their transition could feel both like a liberation and the first step into a gauntlet. Yeah. Um, and I think we need to remember that with erotic change that it's like those feelings will coexist. There will be like excitation and terror, freedom and fear, the exciting of running forward and wanting to be held back at the same time and to, to feel those feelings in you at the same time and have them both be okay is one of the skills here to develop. Yeah, there's a great Ellen Sixu quote. She's a, a novelist and, and critical theorist. Um, and so she talks in her book, The Book of Promethea. It's, it's I think, the, the um, beginning of the book. Once one is in the fire, one is bathed in sweetness. Here I am in it. Once one is in the fire, one is bathed in sweetness. Um, you know, it's, it seems scary. Like, why the heck would I want to jump into the fire? Um, and I'm not saying you jump into actual fires. Please do not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, it can feel that way. Um, that it's that we're going to be burned by this that it is, that it feels unsafe. It's not what one is supposed to do. Um, And, but that place of here I am in it. I think about, um, to talk about my own transition because I'm, I'm much more comfortable, I think, talking about myself than I am talking about my, my clients at this point. Um, but um, and their stories, because um, I'd have to do too much like amalgamating of of their stories um, to anonymize it. But um, but I think about like the ways that I was having sex prior to coming into relationship with my embodied sexual self, coming into passionate relationship. You know, it felt good. Um, but like, but where I am now is freaking amazing. Mm. I mean, you know, multiple orgasms, full body orgasms, 
Um, and I'm not saying that like your mileage may vary. Um, I've made particular choices with my life. And so like, I don't want to, you know, name my experience and say like, everyone will, will do this. will will feel this way. But I just know like, I, and I know what it is like to, uh, going back to, you mentioned the word swirl just a few seconds ago. So it brought me back to swirling, you know, the distinction between when somebody bobs and when somebody swirls my clit, when somebody interacts with my clit as a clit instead of as a penis, I can feel it. And it is amazing. It's not that like, I didn't feel great um, when somebody, you know, would bob. Um, but it's that, that the swirling just feels yummy and, and it feels like I'm deeply, deeply seen in my body and in myself and I'm being affirmed and I'm being held and, and then I can go to places with my pleasure and in my pleasure, both with myself and in relationship to my partners and experience forms of transcendence that I really couldn't before when I was so stuck in my head. I was like, oh, this is okay. <laughs> yeah. I really want to draw that out for a second because we can just look at the friction of the stimulation and what leads to full body orgasms, but that is not the story here. The story is, your entire process over many years of coming into relationship with yourself, honoring your truths, revealing yourself, choosing a partner who will see you and hold you fully, like yeah. holding a certain standard for yourself. And that's part of what Audre Lorde talks about with the erotic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Raise the bar for what we expect in these meetings with one another. Yes. Um, and, all and with ourselves. Yes. Exactly. And our meetings with yeah. solo sex is, is like one of the starting places mm. for this. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. It's like, you know, we, we say that we can't, it's hard to tell people what we like um, unless we know what we like. And so, you know, like playing around and figuring out like what toys work and, you know, what, what do you want to call your parts of what feels good? Um, you know, what kinds of um, movements feel good? What kinds of frictions feel good? So like start with, start with yourself and maybe genitals aren't involved at all for you. And that is totally cool. And you can have mind-blowing sex without ever engaging the genitals. So I, I also want to make space for that. Truth. <laughs> so true. Yeah. But you must engage the mind. Yeah. <laughs> and the mind as part of the body, mm -hmm. not just as this separate, you know, we talk about, you know, the dualism, which is another piece of binary thinking. It's, you know, um, I talk about, you know, the embodied psyche, mm -hmm. that the mind is seated within the body. You can't, you can't distinguish one for the other, from the other. And we talk about this as a superpower because when you fantasize and wake up the mind, you are waking up the body and you will feel the thrum inside. And this is the perfect chance to 
explore through fantasy what your body is viscerally responding to. So much yes. Yes. <laughs> Lucy, thank you so much for stimulating our minds today. I'm sure there's more to come. Where can people find you online to get more of this delicious stimulation? Sure. So um, I have a website at um, Lucy Fielding. Lucy spelled with an I-E. Um, LucyFielding.com. Um, and I um, also you can find me on uh, Facebook. Um, again, I have a professional Instagram feed at Lucy Fielding. Mm-hmm. And we will link that all up in the show notes page. Lucy, thank you so much for your time and wisdom today. God, thank you. It is such a pleasure talking to you. I love the pod. And it is just, it, it's an honor and a privilege to talk to you and um, start to share my work with your listeners. So thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lucy. You might want to listen to it again to let these ideas sink in a little deeper. And if you have any questions about this episode or anything you hear on the podcast, come on over to pleasuremechanics.com. We love to hear from you. And if you want to show us your love and support this show and the work we do in the world, come on over to pleasuremechanics.com slash love where you will find ways to support our work and step into our inner circle of supporters. Thank you so much to all of our patrons and supporters and members of our online courses. We love you and love supporting you in your erotic transformations. It is an honor to serve you, and we hope to work with more podcast listeners in these intimate ways in the coming years. We will be back with you next week with another full episode of Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.